You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. One of the things that I like to do with this podcast is a bit selfish. Yes, I hope you all learned something new, and I hope you enjoy getting exposed to aspects of the hobby that you might be a little more unfamiliar with, but I also do these podcasts for me. Wrestling cards was another area that I have little knowledge of, but I'm always watching, I'm always observing, and I've recognized that in some marketplaces I sell on, like sport lots, wrestling cards are a bit underrepresented, and there may be an opportunity there, but before jumping in, I want to learn more. And this brings me to today's guest, Zan Morning. I reached out to a few other content creators that I trust to see who I should invite to talk about wrestling. And one of the names I received from Brett McGrath was Zan. He has a YouTube channel that's worth checking out, and I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. Zan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Huge fan of the podcast. Nice platform to be on to talk about wrestling cards after hearing so many of your past episodes. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have somebody on who can speak to wrestling cards as a topic that we haven't really hit on yet, um, but it is definitely an area of the hobby uh, that has a passionate fan base, and so I wanted to make sure I expose some people to that option as something to collect and something that they may want to dig into. I find that hearing somebody's origin story is always helpful, and so maybe we just start there. How did you, how and when did you start collecting? Um, like most people, baseball as a kid. Um, I'm, I was born in the mid eighties. So by the late eighties, my dad, my uncle, everybody I knew was buying baseball. That's around the time I was looking at wrestling. I was looking at non-sports cards as a kid. I was more gravitated to that. I played a lot of baseball. So, and I played, I played all sports. So I was like, well, that stuff's cool, but, you know, wrestling is my passion. I love looking at Hogan and Macho Man and looking at them in cardboard form. So it started there, and I was always kind of discouraged by the gatekeepers, so to speak. I'll say that was my dad and my uncle at the time. They're like, oh, you don't want to buy wrestling. It's not going to be worth anything. These baseball cards are going to put you through college. We all know the story about the junk wax era of baseball, basketball, football. So I've just gradually been picking up wrestling cards here and there my entire life. I would say now is probably the heaviest I've been into it, but I've been into collecting my entire life, whether it was, you know, baseball cards, GI Joes. Uh, I was a big basketball card fan in the nineties, switched over to vinyl, um, any kind of collectibles, pop culture collectibles. I've liked to collect, but it seems like wrestling cards have been kind of the one thing that's just always stuck with me, no matter what. That's, that's interesting. Or that's good to know. I was curious on when the wrestling cards entered the picture. And so to know that they have been a part of that early on, along with those other things that you were interested in, I think will help set the stage too and give you uh, some background for us to, to dig deeper. So for those of us who are new to the wrestling category, I wanted to hit on some of the basics that we need to learn. Are there there's a, a, few there's a lot to learn. Takeaways as we get started that serve as kind of foundational things that we need to understand? Yeah, there's, there's a lot to learn and it's so much different than traditional sports. Uh, traditional sports, you know, you have kind of your flagship rookie cards of 
you know, tops or panini or whatever you're into. Gasling is a totally different animal. They are, they, they have flagship releases, um, tops, FLIR, stuff like that. But some of the more valuable cards are like game cards, um, regional releases that were just very short supply. I'm sure you, everybody's seen a lot of the pictures of the wrestling all-stars cards. That was a regional release. It wasn't, you couldn't just go to the store and buy those in the packs. You can only order those through the magazine. So that's a little bit different. And there's, there's harder to find a checklist of some of these. A lot of good people online have done a lot of work to get those put together. A lot of good people have work, done a lot of work with PSA and the grading companies to get those. Cause a lot of times they won't even, well, they didn't, I've heard stories that they didn't want to grade them. So a lot of work has been put in to get the foundation of wrestling cards going in the mainstream. And it's just like, you know, most people look at the junk wax era in eighties and nineties, that's the heyday for wrestling. It's just completely the opposite of what you would expect. And another thing about that is a lot of the product and non-sports cards too, in that time frame, a lot of that stuff was thrown away. Uh, the cards are more condition sensitive. They're not as qual high quality printed. And even the products that you would think are mass produced, there's some WCW sets in like 91 that you would think are mass produced as WWF set in 90 and 91. Those are still way harder to find than a traditional sports card product that you'd see today. I was wondering how modern cards compared to the 80s and 90s and if there were similarities or differences compared to what we typically think of with the other sports. And it sounds like there is and you hit on some of those, is there much wrestling in from the 70s and older, things that in the other sports we would consider vintage? Was there much wrestling out there, many wrestling products out there from the 70s, 60s, 50s? There are, but they're really hit and miss. Um, there's even some like pre-war stuff. It's kind of like you'd expect in baseball, you know, the very condition sensitive. A lot of it is paper. A lot of it is magazine products. They were actually, you had to cut them out of the magazine, but PSA still grades them. And you touched on modern. One thing I really want to drive home, modern is totally different than what I would consider vintage. What I would consider vintage is, and it's not really vintage to most people, but I would say 1980 to 2002. That's kind of your sweet spot of wrestling cards where you had your biggest draws, uh, your legends are all in there, all the main rookie cards, all the super rare cards right in that time frame. Modern's interesting. Topps owns the exclusive rights to WWE, kind of like Panini owns the rights to the NBA. So similar to how Panini puts out all these different basketball products, they own everything. That's kind of what Topps does. They put out all the different kinds of products, strictly women's products. They have a finest chrome, um, transcendent is kind of like the uh, immaculate, so to speak, kind of, you know, comparing those two. So there's all different types, but the the there's just so much production right now that to me i think we're kind of in a junk wax era for wrestling cards modern as to where that sweet spot of 1980 to 2002 is right where you want to stay in if you're wanting to pick up stuff that could be worth money i mean it clearly is uh we saw an autographed hogan rookie from the 82 all-star sell for close to 20,000 not too long ago so they're clearly worth something and there's modern cards that are worth stuff uh, i'll start with collect what you like because there's a lot of people who like specific wrestlers that you want to do a player collection of, and maybe they're not the most popular, they're not the most valuable, but that's what you like, so go for it. And that's why I tell modern fans, 
Um, there are exceptions to modern cards. There are numbered cards, autograph cards, just like any other sports card. However, the women's cards are some of the most top selling cards there are. When you go to the eBay recent sales and you look up like highest sold cards, it's always the Hogan 82. There's some Vince McMahon autographs in there from modern. And then there's the women's kiss cards, which are cards they've actually put lipstick on and kissed the card. So it's their lipstick print on there. And then usually they sign that. And those are usually numbered as well. So that's an interesting aspect of modern cards is that the women, women's cards sell more than anything. You talked about the 80s and 90s being the heyday, and that brings up a question that I had for you. In the other sports, there are certain sets that are viewed as kind of iconic sets that people always go back to and that manufacturers use as foundations for retro products and those types of things. What, in your opinion, are some of those iconic wrestling sets? 1982 Wrestling All-Stars is basically the 90 or the 86 Fleer Basketball. That's like the best comparison I can give you. It's got the best names from all the organizations, which is another thing. In the 80s, there was all these territories. You didn't just have WWE or WCW. So you've got a card set that's got the top names in wrestling from all the different organizations throughout the whole world in one set. I mean, you're not going to find that, you know, nowadays with different exclusive rights and stuff like that. So that's, that's where I would start. That's where most of the money is. Uh, 2002 Fleer Royal Rumble set. Uh, that's got your iconic John Cena, Brock Lesnar, uh, Randy Orton, and Dave Batista. All those guys have gone on to do movies. All those guys have gone on to do other sports, commercials, everything like that. All four of their rookie cards, what most consider their rookie cards, are in that 2002 set. So those are two of the top sets. And then you, you kind of got to dig around. Like, it depends on what you're looking for. I'm a huge fan of this Carnation set. That's in 85 or 86, uh, Carnation Hot Chocolate. You can only get them in the packages, and there's only six cards. And they've got guys like Ric Flair, Sergeant Slaughter, Kamala, guys like that in there. So that's cool. But then on the more mainstream aspect, there's a 91 set that's pretty plentiful right now. And a lot of the Undertaker rookie cards are in that. So all over the place. But the biggest sets, I would say, from in my opinion, would be the 82, 83 All-Stars and then that 2002 Royal Rumble by Fleer. You mentioned that, you know, there's different promotions and there's different um, organizations that had, you know, regional shows and it wasn't all just, you know, WWE now, right. Or WWF at the time. What about some of those sets that was like the first WCW focused set or the first WWF focused set versus some of these that blended multiple things together? Is there anything there that adds to the, the collectability of a, of a particular, I want to say league, but it's not really a league. I'm not sure what the appropriate term is there. Yeah, it's close. Uh, Definitely. And wrestling cards over the past several years have started picking up in value. Uh, One of the more recent is Topps flagship product for WWF, which is in 1985. Now, 1987 Topps is kind of my, that's where I started as a kid. And I still have some of those cards that are all bent up, you know, and I've, I've had them since I was like five years old and I love them. But the 85 Topps has uh, some of the first light, like if you want to consider Tops as a flagship pack pulling product, if you want to consider that the rookie cards, they've got the Hogan rookie cards in there. And what's interesting, and this is another thing about wrestling, is that same exact set was put out by OPG, which most people know from the hockey stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are harder to find. 
And those also have the Macho Man, what could be considered the rookie card in there, and Miss Elizabeth, uh, Ricky Steamboat. There's a lot of names in there, but the Hogan number one, and there's another variation as well as there's a bunch of stickers in that. And most people are familiar with Topps 80s style stickers. Those are some of my favorite wrestling cards there are. So there's that. Um, WCW is kind of all over the place. Uh, one of their more valuable sets is actually a game set, Chromie. It's an Argentina project. And it actually has the first Steve Austin card in it when he was stunning Steve Austin. It has the first uh, Diamond Stud, who then went on to be Ray's Ramon, Scott Hall. So wrestling is just so interesting because it's so all over the place. You have to put in so much work to kind of figure out what, where you want to go. And there's so many different ways to collect wrestling. You know, if you want to do the value, there's certain sets to look at. And then there's certain sets you just don't really want to touch because there's not much value in it. If you're a player collector, you know, you can run the gamut on things. That brings up an interesting point. You talked about Scott Hall, right? Who, Razor Ramon, multiple names, depending on which organization he was with and which phase of the quote-unquote storyline that we were in how does that play into things right so there's this dependency it would seem on wrestling cards and the collectability of wrestling cards there's a dependency on the story writers and because of some of these wrestlers fluctuating in their role and to some extent it would seem that their popularity is at least partially in the hands of the writers and where those writers see them fitting into that broader story that's being told how does that come into play or or is that another thing that we as potential collectors need to be aware of i think one thing to do is again if if you like what you're collecting for example i've kind of started this mini scott hall since we're talking about him um i've got his chromie card which is that game card so he's the diamond stud And then I think 1992 was his first card with the WWF as Razor Ramon. And then he had a Japanese card that was his first actual card as Scott Hall. So I'm kind of on the quest to get those because he was one of my favorite wrestlers. So I want one of every gimmick. The same could be said for those who know Doink the Clown, kind of obscure character. Matt Bourne was the original Doink the Clown. So he has a card in, again, that 1982-83 All-Star set. And then he also has a character when they turned him into a lumberjack as Big Josh in WCW, again, in that chromey game card set. So he's got all these different gimmicks. I try to get one of each one. Now, as far as how that goes in, as far as market goes and collectability, it's kind of weird. For example, I'll use The Rock, one of the biggest movie stars, one of the biggest stars in pop culture currently. So the two cards that are on fire with him right now is the 1997 Cardinal Trivia game. So again, you're talking a card, a gaming card of his card, and that thing is just skyrocketing right now, as well as when he was in playing football for the Miami Hurricanes, and they put out a college set of magazine-style cards. But then you look at his official cards in pack-pull sets, and they're a little bit cheaper. But those are like actually pack-pulled what most would consider a rookie card but those other first cards are of different style characters. One of him, his actual self playing football are going for more than with the actual wrestling card. So I think it just depends on how you want to collect and kind of what you want to do. You know, if you're wanting to make a lot of money in wrestling cards, you got to look at where the market is. 
But if you're just strictly a player collector, then you can just start at the beginning, start doing research and find out who you like in all these different sets. Yeah, it's, see, I was in my mind, I was trying to think about some of those things and was wondering if avid wrestling collectors viewed some of those different characters like baseball players who only collect a certain team might view right. a player that they want the, that guy while he was a member of the A's or the Cubs or the Cardinals or whatever it might be, right. but don't really care about having any of their cards when they were playing for another team. And with wrestlers, it seems like there are some who pretty much play that same character their whole whole career and others like Mick Foley or Goldust or, you know, some of those other All guys who have place. drastically different characters that they've portrayed over the course of, of their career. Sometimes right. that progression is acknowledged a part, as part of their story development. And sometimes it's just they're all of a sudden somebody brand new and, and a different, and I, I just wasn't sure how that factored in. So thank you for sharing a little bit on that and, and shedding some light on that. One, on one of your episodes of your YouTube show, you recently mentioned that in your opinion, injuries don't matter as much for wrestling. And I was wondering if you could unpack that a little bit for me and help me understand why that would be the case because it would sure. seem to be at first blush wrestlers still get hurt <laughs> wrestlers still have injuries that impact their screen time and the the number of matches that they're that they're um on tv wrestling and and those types of things so help me understand what you meant when you said that injuries don't matter as much so for example i can talk about our modern football card market and how you know, some of us, myself included, tried to roll the dice making money with some positional players as well as quarterbacks. I mean, look what happened to Dak Prescott recently. A lot of people were heavily invested in him, one injury, and his cards are already going down, not plummeting, but just, you know, going down. Uh, generally, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Andre the Giant, they're not, like, nothing's going to happen to them. We did have a situation not too long ago with Hulk Hogan and some racist comments, stuff like that, was several years ago. Uh, WWE removed him from the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure if he's been put back in there yet, but his legacy lives on forever. So for wrestling, and well, it depends on what you're collecting again, though, too. Like I'm looking at that 1980 to 2002 range. A lot of those guys are either done wrestling slightly, they're still active a little bit, but most of them, they've kind of cemented their legacy. I look at that kind of like when you're buying vintage baseball, basketball, football. It's a pretty safe place to put your money. Uh, as far as modern goes, I, you know, they're, they build these characters in your mind and you become attached to the character, not so much the, I guess, athlete, so to speak. So if they're out of sight, out of mind with an injury, like they're still characters. You can still go back and watch a lot of their stuff. They're still relevant maybe they're going to eventually move on to another organization somewhere. But even if they get injured, it really doesn't have an effect on their cards, especially that vintage period that I told you about. Those just seem to go up constantly slowly that, you know, you don't see the overnight kind of reactionary market because there's really no reason to, but as people are kind of going back and realizing, man, I used to love watching wrestling in the nineties when I was a kid. A lot of it just brings back nostalgic memories. So that's kind of the sweet spot of wrestling cards. And you just can't go wrong because nothing's going to happen to them. In the mid to late 90s, I was a weekly wrestling watcher. 
my friends and I tuned in every Monday night to see Raw versus Nitro, which was, you know, who flipping back and forth between those two things. And I was pretty on top of, of the storylines and how things progressed today that just in, in relation to this whole idea of injuries not mattering as much. Is it even a thing where if somebody is physically injured, they're still a part of the storyline through other on-screen activities, going out to the ring with somebody who is still wrestling, being a part of the behind-the-scenes video shoots and the, you know, the different things that are being done to, to rev up the crowd and that type of thing? Is there still involvement that some of those people have in the, the weekly shows, even if they're physically hurt and not able to wrestle? Yeah, for sure. Sometimes they'll turn them into managers or they'll figure out a storyline where they make up some reason why they got injured to avoid facing their opponents, you know, kind of a coward's way out. They'll have fun with it and write storylines around that. Uh, sometimes they just get released, just like, um, you know, a guy's on a bad contract in the NFL and he's not performing. They'll just let him go. So they do that with wrestling too. But I don't know. It seems like wrestling, like, what you're talking about, like that would kind of people start thinking during that month, the Monday night wars uh, during the eighties. And this is just kind of a wrestling specific thing, but it's good to know for collectors. I don't think as many people are as in depth with modern wrestling as they used to be. There's, we have so many other forms of entertainment. We've got other sports you want to collect. There's just all kinds of things to do. Whereas during the Monday night war, it was like must see TV Internet was a thing, but not really, not like it is right now. We didn't all have phones to entertain us. So, I mean, I remember guys and girls of all ages, families, parents, everybody would huddle around the TV on Monday nights to watch all that stuff. So that's just something else that's interesting about that, because if you look at modern sports, it's one of the biggest things in America, in the, in the world, you know? I mean, even soccer cards worldwide, like people are obsessed with it. I think wrestling's kind of gone down a little bit, but... I'll circle back to where you were talking about modern uh, independent wrestling is huge. And there are people that absolutely love their specific local independent wrestling. And I'm starting to see a lot of independent organizations putting out their own sets of cards. So for example, I'll use what I did today. Um, NWA, who was a powerhouse in the eighties national wrestling alliance. Well, even before that, I think Abraham Lincoln was actually their first champion. If you want to go back and do the research, but for the first time since 1988, they've put out a trading card set. So small sets only like 14 or 15 cards. But what I like about it, and this is not, this is totally against what Topps is doing, is you can only go pre-order those until the 16th of October. Once that's done, that's done. They're not making any more. You can't get them anymore. And a lot of the wrestling fans are really into these indie card sets. So I could see that as being something that's going to blow up down the road because they're so limited. Uh, you can only get them usually through online ordering. You can't just go to the store and pick them up. They're not overproduced. And the other thing about a lot of wrestling cards, I'll throw out David Peck and Robbie England Wrestling Card King. Those two guys have kind of set the stage for modern wrestling cards as far as value goes. Most wrestling fans are set collectors, which is kind of a throwback for a lot of sports fans. Uh, but they just like so many characters that they don't want to focus on one or it's not about the money to them. A lot of them are very anti-grading. They don't want to deal with it. They just put them in a binder and go on. So, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of all these different aspects of wrestling that are just, you can compare some to sports cards, but in some aspects, it's just wildly different. You had talked, I mean, it's almost like we had planned this out. 
but my next question was actually about some of these other properties. I was just reading an article talking about how while the WWE is setting record profits in their most recent quarter and they've got these new TV deals, at the same time their TV viewership is plummeting. Correct. And other leagues like the AEW seem to be growing in popularity and people start to gravitate towards them. You mentioned some of these other independent circuits that have their own cards. My question was actually, does AEW have cards yet? And has, has a manufacturer partnered with them to produce a card set yet? Because they seem to be the next closest big promotion or the next closest big organization. Are you aware of any AEW cards yet or other than some of these independent ones that I, I actually want to hear a little bit more about, that might be something that I pursue. Are there other card properties other than tops? I know leaf produces kind of a legends of wrestling set that, that they put out. Are there other manufacturers producing wrestling cards besides tops that we need to be aware of? Yeah, a lot to unpack there. We'll start with leaf. I'm actually a huge fan of their products. I know a lot of people don't like them, but when you can consider you're opening a box, and I don't open, actually, I don't really, I just buy singles mainly, but for people who want to rip packs or open boxes, you're getting all autographed or serial number cards. So there's a finite amount of everything, no matter what you're doing, you're not going to get a bunch of junk, like when you go buy any current sports product, or it's, you know, you're not going to get a lot of hits, or same thing with modern wrestling tops with their overproduction of base cards. A lot of people aren't into base. So that's why I like the Leaf stuff. I like the kind of animated art style that they put on there. Uh, the 2020 release has one of my favorite Ric Flair cards ever. It's got him. It looks like he's cutting a promo on 1986 NWA TV with his glasses and his suit yelling at you as the card with the sweet autograph underneath. And those are limited to, you know, 5, 10, whatever. So that's, you know, puts an extra value on those. As far as AEW, uh, I did see an interview with Tony Khan a few months ago. AEW cards are happening. They haven't released any kind of details yet. What I would honestly like to do is I'd like to see Upper Deck pick it up. I did a video that by the time this podcast comes out, that video will be up. But I picked up the Hulk Hogan 2013, I believe, PMG. Everybody knows the PMGs in basketball. Upper Deck did employee exclusives for Hogan, Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, and they happen to have a Hogan. I jumped on it. So I really think Upper Deck does a great job on cards, and I'm thinking, well, get them back in the game on something mainstream other than hockey. You know, get let's have some AEW Upper Deck cards, and I bet they'd knock it out of the park. And then some of the other independent sets, it's just really hard to track down because some of them are unlicensed. Uh, some of them, if you can find them, are worth a lot of money. One thing, one set that I could see, it's already gotten really popular, but it's slowly picking up steam even more, would be the FCW set, which was Florida Championship Wrestling. It was actually NXT before it was NXT. So Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt, a lot of those guys in there have their first cards in that set. So those are starting to pick up in value because they're just hard to find. And, you know, a lot of people, it's slowly starting to get around to where scarcity matters. Um, stars matter so if you can meld the two of those that's the best thing to collect for monetary value and for fun that's that's very cool i hope that people have picked up in the conversation so far that there is a lot 
here within the world of wrestling cards. Whether Absolutely. you're talking about the main popular products like Topps is cranking out with their partnership with WWE or on these independent circuits going back through the 80s and 90s and even beyond that. There's a lot here within the wrestling card world that people can dig into and unpack. And I think that makes for some fun chases, it sounds like. So thank you so much for coming on and, and helping us lay the groundwork for some things. I hope it piques some, some interest. And if it does, can you take a few minutes to help people understand where they can find you at and more of your content at if they want to take this educational uh, education a step deeper? Absolutely. First off, thanks for having me because I absolutely love your show. I love all the financial aspects. You talk about it. We won't get into that here. That's for another show. Anyway, Wrestling With Cards on YouTube. If you want to find out more about wrestling cards, I dive into sets. I do some kind of fun things, reading the back of the cards, breaking down the sets, explaining this was their first card. This card is like their 20th card, so it's not that important. I also look at the financial aspects. As I said, uh, you know, you see a lot of sports card investing. Well, we do, I do that with wrestling cards, and I honest answers of what's worth your money, what's not, if you're looking to make money, or if you just want to do fun collections. I'm also looking into getting into some non-sports cards because I see a lot of spaces in the hobby that are just not being covered right now, and wrestling cards is one of them. There's a lot of YouTube channels where people are flipping through their wrestling cards. Look at this. I have this. I have this. That's not what I'm here to do. Uh, maybe I'll have some fun doing that occasionally, but that's what Instagram social media is for. Uh, I want to break down these sets. I want to inform everybody and hopefully entertain people. And I'll just go ahead and plug the rest of my social media. It's just Zan Morning, Instagram, TikTok. I know you're big on TikTok. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, every place else. Just search Zan Morning. It's the same name on everything. Very cool. Thanks. And I will put links to all of those channels out um, in the show notes as well. So uh, it's a little bit of a unique name, uh, unique spelling of your name too. So I want to make sure people get the the proper way to, to, to find that. So I will put all of those links in the show notes as well. Thanks again, Zan, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Had a good time.